Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode of the show where tonight we're talking about my film pick of the week, Alone in the Dark, from 1982, and directed by Jack Shoulder. But before we get into all that, as always, I'm joined by the bold and the beautiful, the Gold Geek Keith. I am a voyager in this world. Hello, hello, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Welcome to my podcast. Uh, just welcome to the clinic, as we are going to put one on later on in the show when we discuss that very movie. And, of course, we are joined by very astute, very opinionated, Philemonic Dean, one of our fellow voyages for tonight's journey. Very angry. Madness. He's so angry. Marie says it, and I know it. And she's his number one fan, so she knows. I, That's no, I, I need to take a moment to, to, to address some of this really quickly. Uh, if oh, I may, sure. is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. Knock it I preach think, on. I think preach on, this, brother. It's going to get angry, dude. Well, Stop. I'm not here to preach. <laughs> I'm not here to preach. I just, I, and, and, and maybe you can highlight some examples to help me understand a little better, but I do feel that this, this kind of anger angle as of late, might be like a little bit over-exaggerated. Um, I know sometimes I can, can get a little heated. I, I understand that, especially, uh, you know, if it's something that I'm very uh, passionate about, both positively or negatively. Um, mm-hmm. But to, to go so far as to, like, attach the, the, the adjective to, to, to my character, in, in, I, I'm just curious as to if, if it's truly believed, if, if, if that's an accurate monitor. Is that, I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, according to, to Marie, who is a fan, has reached out, and she's a huge fan of yours, so that's a plus, but she said that she loves the fact that you tend to, to do get a little agitated at times, but she said the one thing that won her over, there was an episode where the ghoul was saying something to you, and he told you to go do something, and you just said, I don't have to do a goddamn thing. And she was like, I was in love. That's my host. I love that, because that's exactly what I do with my friends. Yes. Now, I obviously appreciate all of our fans. Um, I love yeah. communicating and getting the feedback from many of our fans on Instagram. Uh, I don't often chime in on our Facebook page. Uh, sometimes I will comment on something that gets posted. But I, I appreciate all of our fans, and I, I obviously appreciate a fan who thinks that I am the brightest part of the show because everybody knows that's true, even if they don't want to admit it. But, of course, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was just—I was just curious. I was just curious as to as as, as to this. That—that that is all. That is all. Oh, mystery solved. All right. So there you yeah. have it. Thank you. Thank you for my my loyal my loyal fans. I I, I appreciate you all. And uh, if it is if it is anger that that you like to hear. For me, then 
uh, I will I will do my best when appropriate to deliver on such promise. And we love that about you. So keep up the good work, Dean. Yes. Thank you, David Banner. <laughs> Wouldn't like him when you get to me. Bill Bixby was the best banner, by the way. Just just so we're clear. Hmm. Well. Everyone's just out of doing it. I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think uh, for that representation of the Hulk, I think he definitely was. I mean, as far as the modern era goes, I'm going to obviously lean towards uh, towards our latest uh, incarnation of it because I thought he did a he's, he's done a bang up job of giving us an awkward, frightened nerd. Um, yeah, you know, which, which I agree. Kind of, no, no, no. Here's the know, thing, you know, and, I, and I actually, I, I actually did spend some time. Uh, thinking about this uh, not long ago. Um, I think part of the reason that I feel that way is because obviously, uh, you know, even though I was a watcher of every movie that I could try to see growing up, uh, watching the Incredible Hulk television series uh, with Bill Bixby's portrayal of Dr. Banner, um, as a kid, I had no frame of reference uh, to to Bill Bixby, like from anywhere else whatsoever. Um, it wasn't like, oh, here's here's seven other movies that I know that Bill Bixby's in. Uh, so sometimes when we have you know fairly well known actors that take on these roles. Uh, sometimes for me, I'm like, oh, like Mark Ruffalo, I know him from this, and I know him from that, and he's a good actor, and he's good in this role, but, like, I know him from lots of things. And, like, up until I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I do believe that maybe did Bill Bixby, was his, was his, was he, uh, he was the father on a sitcom, maybe, in, like, you know, in the 90s before he passed away, maybe. Um maybe a grandfather type character, but I could be wrong about that. I'd have to look, but like, it's the only place I know him from. So like he was Dr. Banner to me. Like I see Mark Ruffalo or I see Robert Downey Jr. As uh, you know, as Tony Stark and whoever, like I know all of these actors from a million different things. So like, it's hard for me to like singularly say, Oh, he is that person. Like, if that makes any sense to anybody. It does. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I associate with him. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, again, being that we were of the, the perfect age for when those those episodes were running, you know, as far as being kids, and for you and me, I mean, you know, for the most part, they were reruns, what we were watching anyway. I mean, the, you know, the, the Hulk series had wrapped up by, I think, like, 82, 83, and then we had the TV movies mm-hmm. in the late 80s. Um, but the actual series had wrapped up, I think it might have been like 83, uh, 84 at the latest, but I don't even think it was that. I don't think it was that far. Um, but, yeah, as far, as far as Bill Bixby goes, absolutely. That is 100% who we would know him as because um, everything prior to that, like where, where our parents would know him, uh, would have been the Westerns and all the other shows from like the, the 50s and the 60s that he was in, uh, or the 60s. Um, you know, so, so, and I think he was in uh, – I think it was in one of the big series, Man from Uncle, My Favorite Martian, something like that. Probably, yeah. yeah. Transferred over there, but yeah, it's the only thing I remember him from. It's kind of like Michael Landon. The only thing I know him from is Little House in the Prairie and uh, Stairway to Heaven. 
Stairway to Heaven. I mean, those are the two two shows that I associate that man with as well. <laughs> yep, that's it. You know, mm. but you know that's that's kind of like you know. I'm sure since I know all three of us have gotten the book, I know all three of us. I'm sure have been reading through it. But the uh, the Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood uh, novelization, Fantastic. you know, like like we've learned with our favorite Western actor Rick Dalton. You know, once once you're <laughs> Slow down no longer I, the, the I haven't read it yet. No spoilers. Well, I'm no, going I'm by what we know in the movie. Once yeah, I'm 50, okay. I have 50 pages left, man. I am like, yeah, I yeah, started yeah. like, it yeah. started real slow, like my reading it of it. And then all of a sudden, like not because, not for any kind of like boredom or anything like that. It was just like I was analyzing so much of everything that was like mm-hmm. put down in the book. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, like I've looked up and like, I looked today and I was like, Holy shit. Like I'm almost done. This sucks because I don't have that much left to go. I have 50 pages. But what I was going to say is like, like, like the wonderful producer, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Schwartz told us, you know, they, they, they hire the the hero, not Schwartz, Schwartz, Schwartz. They hire the former (laughs) hero to be the heavy, so that you see that, that, that person getting their ass kicked. You know, Batman and Robin aren't beating up Rick Dalton, beating him up at all. You know, they're, they're beating up his character, you know, in, in the Western, in uh, Bounty Law. You know, so, so that's exactly like what, what we kind of see with like a Bill Bixby type of deal. You know, we see him as the Hulk, which, you know, here's the funny thing with me as a kid. And again, I'm talking like my earliest age of like, remember watching this. You know, being that I was still so enamored with the magic of what television was. To me, Bill Bixby and the guy that was playing the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, they were one and the same. So for me, I never saw them as as two different people. I was, you know, amazed by the fact that this, this diminutive little man could all of a sudden turn into this gigantic hulking creature with all these big muscles and shit. And it was like, holy cow. Um... You know, but that but that was just me as a child. I was also the kid that my uncle dragged me into the uh, at Nellie Bly in Brooklyn. My uncle John took me the one time, and he brought me into the booth that had the woman that changed into the the gorilla. And I remember, like you know, there's this 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 hot gyrating lady like standing there in a bikini and everything. And again, I, I might have been seven eight, you know what I mean? So, like, my, my full-on interest, like, yeah, it's a female form. I'm somewhat interested in it. And, you know, I'm in this, this booth. It's almost like a train car, you know, full of people. And she's at, like, you know, the head of the car or whatever it is, like, behind a, a glass partition and everything. And she's gyrating and all this and that. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the lights start to flash a little bit, little sounds and things like that start to happen. And then you start to see, like, the the lighting effects start going on behind the thing. And all of a sudden, you know, she's a little hairier looking. And she's a little hairier looking. And then all of a sudden, there's a gigantic, a gigantic gorilla standing there where this woman stood. And I remember thinking to myself as a kid, holy shit, that woman just turned into a fucking gorilla. I'd be like, oh, my God. I'm, like, amazed by this whole thing, right? Yeah, sure. 
sure as shit, until that chick started banging on the glass, or the gorilla started banging on the glass, and the fucking glass opened, and that thing took a step forward, like right into the crowd of people. Boom. I couldn't have been out of that damn room faster if they, like, the, the flash had nothing on me at that point. I was surprised my Uncle John didn't lose me that day in Ellie Bly, because there was no way I was staying in there. I hightailed that shit. The second that door looked like it was open a crack, I was, pew, gone. <laughs> So, but yes, I was amazed by those those types of things as a child. So so that's why for me, yeah. I, I understand completely what you're saying when you say Bill Bixby is kind of like forever your banner. Yeah, and you know to to wrap up our our Bixby conversation here because we're not a Bill Bixby podcast. Uh, you know when I was oh, saying, I feel up. like I I feel like I know him from like a sitcom in the '90s, and I swear, and I just did some research, but I almost said out loud, but then I was like, he'd be too old. I was like, wasn't he the father in, like, Blossom or something like that? And then I thought in my head, oh, obviously he'd be too old for, no, he'd be too old for that. But then I just went and pulled up his uh, his stats, and it turns out uh, that Bill Bixby uh, did direct 30 episodes of Blossom. So I was a wow. watcher of that show because it came on, I can't remember what it came on, it maybe came on right after the Fresh Prince, but like, um, so I remember seeing his name yeah. in, in, in the credits, uh, like, like for some reason, like I had Bill Bixby tied to Blossom. I swear when I said, I feel like I know him from a, I swear I was going to say Blossom out loud, uh, before I looked it up. Oh, so anyway, Still involved. uh, and as I do Whoa. have the, I do have the, I do have the info page <laughs> up for Blossom and I know we're not a Blossom podcast either but in not, this show, there was a hundred there was a, a hundred a hundred and fourteen episodes of this wow. series the list of people that like had a guest spot on this show is staggering uh in its variety um the amount of people that appeared as a special guest on this show as i'm looking at this list here um i'll just list a couple be, to to to, to show how wide a variety uh, but David Arquette, Sonny mm-hmm. Bono, Terry Bradshaw, Jonathan Brandis, CNC Music Factory, uh, David Cassidy, Dick Clark, Phil Donahue, Fabian, um, Estelle Getty, Arsenio Hall, Neil Patrick Harris, Hugh Hefner, B.B. King, Don King, Jim Jarmish, Timothy Leary himself, uh, Toby <laughs> McGuire, uh, James Marsden, Dick Martin, wow. uh, Mr. T, Brittany Murphy, Wolfgang Puck, uh, Martha Quinn, uh, Giovanni Rabisi, Salt and Peppa, Talia Shire, Adrian Balboa herself, um, Will Smith, Robert Stack, Alex Trebek, Jimmy Walker. Um, I'll end there, but you can. That's what. That's a. That's a crazy hodgepodge of. That's a lot. Um, so anyway, and there's a lot more. But anyway. Um, you know, we're not never here to watched, talk about, uh, you know, mid-level it. sitcoms from the mid-90s. I was a fan back in the day. I watched that a lot. Primetime so was I. Six, man. It was all about yeah. six. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, uh, obviously, I, I remember man. the series well, but I was, a, uh, I was a more of a TGIF guy than an NBC mm-hmm. guy. So I really didn't, uh, didn't follow Blossom. I know there's something about it that I just like, you know, and again, obviously pop culture, Joey Lawrence, whoa, and all that shit. Um, you know, like, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, any, any thing that, that separated me from the characters or anything like that. I think the only show I was really watching on NBC around that time would have been Saved by the Bell and like every rerun that that, that 
was on all the time, Saturday mornings and shit. Oh, yeah, that's full right. Yeah, Fresh Prince is great on there. You're more of a step-by-step guy, I guess. Yeah, Full House, you know, Perfect Strangers, all that yeah. stuff. Boy Meets like, World. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maybe so. Friday. Yeah, TGIF can't beat that, ABC. Stellar lineup. All right, so yeah, we're, we're not a TGIF, uh, TGIF podcast either, but we are a horror podcast. So uh, what do you have for news, Steve? Arlen? So before we get to news, uh, King, uh, there was something okay. this week that um, I found to be uh, very interesting that was posed mm. to our Talking Terror Facebook page. Uh, and I brought this to a few other p- uh, places uh, in, my, in my social media universe. And mm. I'm talking about uh, the meme question you posed about uh, going back in time uh, what hmm. would you like to see in the theater? And there were four choices, uh, Dracula, Jaws, The Exorcist, and Psycho. Uh, I had posed a question on Facebook saying, are we going back in time as uh, you know, someone who's just walking up to the theater and purchasing a ticket and walking in sight unseen with the rest of the crowd and we know nothing, or are we going back in time knowing everything we know about that particular film, but nobody else knows anything. They're all newbies. And you said, we're going back in time having uh, the wealth of knowledge that we have, uh, but we are going to be entering a theater with people that have never seen this film before, that it's a a new film of its time. So um, first, before I have some information I would like to share, but before we get to that, uh, uh, Ghoul, what was was your response to this question, Ghoul? I mean, for me, it's Jaws. You know, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I love Jaws. I love everything about it. It's a summer blockbuster. It's the, you know, quote-unquote first summer blockbuster. Um, you know, so, so the idea, and again, if we're walking in with full knowledge of it, then walking into that movie with a crowd of people that have no idea what it is that they're about to see, watching their reactions to, this, to something like that, which to us nowadays, we're so desensitized to it. Like, I would love to see what that kind of crowd would look like. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for that, that fine analysis, school. And what about you, King of Horror? Uh, I went with Psycho from 1960, because that was appointment and movie you, watching experience. Yeah. Yeah, share, share some information about your choice, please. Uh, as I said, that was appointment uh, cinema. You had to be there on time, otherwise you could not get in. So if you were not there when the movie started, you would have to sit out in the lobby and just wait for it to uh, end so you can go into the next one. That's also get sitting in a theater where people have never seen it before and seeing Janet Lee get killed by Mother Bates in that shower and the reaction of Norman Bates and then having that twist at the end where it's revealed that Norman is actually the killer the entire time. I would love to see an audience react to that that's never seen it before, especially in 1960. The the roof must have blown off the place. All right. Thank you very much. So I I posted this question uh, to not only our talking terror. What's your pick, man? Yeah, good point. Well, I'm I'm, 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 I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Don't worry. Okay, sure. Uh, But I'm just giving some context uh, that I had posted uh, this question to both my uh, our our talking terror Instagram and my personal Instagram, uh, in regards to our 
Talking Terror Instagram, I do just want to say that we have surpassed uh, 3,000 followers on our Talking Excellent. Terror Instagram. Right. Very exciting. Go, uh, the, right. the, the move from 2,000 to 3,000 uh, was much faster than the move from 1,000 to 2,000. Uh, I can tell you that for certain. I remember uh, it's only been, you know, maybe within the last six months when I announced that we hit 2,000. So, um, yeah, you know, so I just wanted to say that. But anyway. Uh, I'm a quality guy, and I like the quality of the people that we have interacting at times on the Instagram page, which is nice, man. Yeah, we. And, uh, it's not so much the number. I like and, the interactions. No, I, I agree, and there's some maniacs out there too. But uh, but but combining yeah, yeah. When, when thinking about <laughs> my personal well. and our our talking terror Instagram, uh, so the consensus is uh, that the majority of people would like to see Jaws with. Uh, you know, Exorcist uh, coming in okay. a close second, followed by Psycho. Uh, all, Jaws, Exorcist, and Psycho all had like a decent amount of votes, and Dracula came in uh, last with just one singular vote. But as far as my own personal opinion, I've really, truly been wrestling uh, with this choice. This was not just some easy pick for me, and I say that mm-hmm. in all honesty. Now, of all of those movies, without any hesitation, I can clearly say that Jaws by far is my favorite of all of those films. It's one of the few films uh, that if I am flipping channels and I see that word, like I'm stopping and staying with it regardless of where it is in the film. There have been plenty of times when I'm scrolling and I see The Exorcist and I keep on scrolling. Uh, There's been plenty of times when I've been scrolling and seen Psycho and have kept on scrolling. But like Jaws is one of those that that's like, I don't look it up to obviously see when it's going to be playing, but that's like that's like appointment television for me if it's on. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, as far as going back in time and seeing one of these films for the first time, like I said, this was not an easy choice. And un- maybe surprisingly to myself, I did eliminate Jaws from the running. And the debate that I held, and this is this this is strictly. Uh, a choice based on popular culture and reaction to those films in the time that they were released. The, 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 the wrestling that I did was between psycho and the exorcist. And ultimately I settled on the exorcist. Um, Mm, Good choice. One uh, for me personally, uh, seeing that film for the first time is one of the films that has, that without question uh, has scared me the most as a young film watcher and still sometimes like impacts me uh, in that way. Uh, Watching Psycho is like watching a master class in filmmaking. Um, Mm -hmm. Psycho still has this weird like chilling effect on me. And while I know as a fact that when people were seeing these films in the theater for the first time, uh, that there was like a lot of like reaction from the crowd uh, that you can read about as far as people seeing it and, Uh, being able to handle it or staying in for the whole film. Uh, One of the things that was pushing me towards Psycho was the fact that when Psycho came out, there was like, there was nothing like that at all. Like there was no slasher genre. Uh, There was not mainstream horror to that extent. Uh, But ultimately it's the, it's the more controversial aspects of content and dialogue and imagery in Exorcist that would want me to see the reactions of people seeing this as a new movie 
uh, at the time that The Exorcist was released, knowing what I know about it. So that is how I landed on the choice of Very nice. Good choice. My father saw it in the theater when it came out. I know I saw it when they did the uh, – one of the re-releases that they did when they had it in the theater. That one, um, the, mm-hmm. the version that you've never seen. <laughs> I, I think so. Karate dragged me to go see it. It was, yeah, no, that's the back. one when they when they added back that sequence of her doing that spider walk down the steps, right? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, he he dragged me to go see it with him because he wouldn't go see it by himself, even though he was a grown man at the time. The movie still scared him that much. Um, <laughs> did, did 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 he need to hold your elbow? <laughs> no, no. Thankfully, there was no uh, no hand holding or any 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 types of grabbing throughout the uh, throughout the film. Um, but yeah, you know, like for for me. Uh, besides Jaws, I would say like a second for me actually has nothing to do with the content of the film or anything like that. It would actually be to go back and see Dracula only because of what going to the theater meant back then, you know, where it was a a big event. The idea is you got dressed up. It was fancy to go see, you know, the cinema at that time, you know, let's get, let's get dressed up and go to a movie. Um, that I would think would just be cool just for that experience, not for the actual content of the film itself or the audience reaction. Um, but yeah, so uh, good choices all around, man. I think, uh, I think it was a very interesting question and I'm glad that, uh, that we got as many responses. Yeah, I really do. I saw that and I was like, wow, like this is a really interesting question. And for me personally, I liked the fact that I really needed to like spend some time with that one and, you know, it got a lot of positive uh, reaction on on both of, both Instagrams. So I, you know, I thought that would be, uh, uh, I thought it'd be nice to to add that to to a segment of our program this evening uh, as a, as a little bit of a content piece. I believe that's what they call it in current modern media. Yeah, I, I mean, so. that's right yeah. up there with uh, who's going to win a fight? You know, Superman or Mighty Mouse? That's right. Mighty Mouse wins. <laughs> So, yeah, great, 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 all around. great to hear about the, the Instagram page. We're at uh, 1900 on the uh, Facebook page. So growing, you know, good content all around. I we think talking so. terror is growing. I look forward to cultivating another thousand uh, followers out there. Um, you know, yeah, get it up to 4k, man. It's, it's a fun endeavor. It's a fun endeavor. And if you're out there on the Instagrams, uh, you know, obviously at talking terror, uh, come check us out and join the fun. Same thing on Facebook, Talking Terror. If you're out there listening and you haven't hit us up on the social medias, uh, go ahead and find us out and find us out there and, uh, and, and join the fun. A lot, a lot of fun, a lot of news, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun memes, a lot of news, a lot of good stuff going on. So check check us out uh, if you like our show. Um, and then anyway, random things like 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 dinner or animal pictures. So so we have all kinds of. Uh, Fascinating things that get thrown up on our yes, on yes. Our, our this, is, this is all encompassing. A little bit of a whole ball of fun happening on, on the Instagram. So you'll see, you'll find out for yourselves, and comment and everything, and let us know your thoughts. Always, please. We we love our fan feedback. We'd love to hear from all of our loyal listeners, uh, even you, Monkey's Mom. Now, uh, <laughs> earlier today, this afternoon, uh, we were having a little bit of a, a chat on our on our on our group and. I do just want to bring up, and this is not really genre-related, uh, like not much of what we've talked about so far tonight has been, but the Jackass <laughs> Forever trailer. The Jackass oh, Forever shit. trailer. I just want to say, I, 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 oh. I, it, it was not a surprise to me that, that the trailer was out, because uh, I, I, that there is a, a new Jackass coming. I've known 
uh, all along. I recently mm-hmm. read a long interview oh, yeah. with Johnny Knoxville. Um, it was no surprise, but I was not expecting to like flip open my computer and see that the trailer was out and uh, watched it. And man, the sense of just like glee and laughter and fun. <laughs> like I just fucking love yeah. those guys. And I, you know, Knoxville insists, guarantees like with all of his heart that like this without question, you know, will be the last one, at least that he's involved in. Uh, so yeah. looking forward to seeing, seeing what this fucking, you know, these, this crew is cooking up. Uh, they've been, they've been part of our, you know, universe for so long now and they're just, they're so fucking old. And, uh, you know, uh, I just, I was, I, I just like had a, like a perma grin, like ear to ear, huge fucking smile watching it and laughing. And I just, I can't wait. And I hope you all feel the same and I'll be really be looking forward to seeing Jackass forever. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I watched the show like three times already just because Steve-O on the line of, you know, it's good to get a concussion before you're 50. Knoxville's 49, so he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it looks like, like they have a lot of good things happening with, like, like with the advancements of technology. It looks like they have a lot of good things going on with, like, camera setups and camera angles and, and, and all of that. So, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, <laughs> they're cooking up some fucking crazy ass shit to show us, and I can't wait to see it. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I for, totally forgot um, to to watch the whole trailer. I only saw half of it. Something came up and interfered with, you know, so something I had to do. Um, yeah, I know. As far as like, yeah, obviously, I think you know, it's the the steps as far as technology would go for them at this point would be, you know, maybe some of the drone te- technology and shit like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you remember seeing Jackass 3D. You know, back I did. I saw it in 3D. 2010. But at that point, yep. they were using those super high-definition, slow-motion cameras to show shit in 3D yeah. that was just, it was preposterous. You know, like you watch it, it was, it was funny enough just seeing the pranks as they occurred. But watching like a cannonball hit somebody's body, and then the definition <laughs> and the slower speed of it showing every jiggle and like every movement of flesh around it, man. The fucking Pukato, okay? They had a fucking Pukato. And by Pukato, I mean we watched somebody's asshole erupt with diarrhea. It was fucking glorious. It was absolutely glorious. Those guys are the greatest fucking set of morons on the face of this planet as far as I'm concerned. I love, adore, and respect them for all of the stupid shit that they've fucking done and made us laugh with. Just a few minutes that I watched of the trailer was enough just to have me fucking rolling. Okay, the second I saw the guy riding the bicycle towards the fucking barrels and it turned out to be a matte painting, yup, I'm <laughs> fucking in all the way. I don't even want to watch uh, any more of the trailer because I just don't want anything else to nope. be spoiled. Um, but yeah, yeah I, the, when I remember seeing 3D in theater, it's one of those moments, one of those movies that I was watching that I was laughing so hard I could barely fucking breathe. And you get to that point where you have to stop laughing because you're just physically unable to laugh anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, saw that. I saw all of them in the theater, uh, theaters, but yeah, 3 was the greatest. But 4, I can't wait for. Seeing Johnny Knoxville pop out of a fucking cannon wearing fucking wings. You know, his hair's all gray. He's looking his age, but, man, I think the boys are fucking back. Like, you shouldn't watch the rest of that trailer because there's a fucking great part at the end that I had to rewatch a couple times because I couldn't stop laughing involving Danger Aaron. So, 
you know, just wait till you see it. <laughs> uh, alligators biting people's nipples, all kinds of fun stuff. You know, there's going to be animal hijinks. You know, it's uh, it's, uh, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be it's a gonna be ball trauma. Is going to if it's the last one, whether it's Knoxville's involvement or the last one ever, I'm good with it either way. You know, I'm good if they never had made it either, but I'm fucking pretty happy that they did. I know. I yeah. know. I feel the same exact way. That's a great way to put it. Like, I would have yeah. been fine, yeah. like, if I never fucking saw it again. And, like, if for whatever odd random reason it popped back into my head, it would bring me happiness to think about it. Uh, that I was like in the right generation to 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 enjoy it uh, so greatly for what it was, but like there's also like I don't know there's there's this weird sense of and I don't call it it's not necessarily nostalgia uh, maybe it's just the appreciation to like continue to just do the things that you do as you get old and be like fuck it I'm old but this is what I do and I'm still gonna do this shit and uh, you, you know see you know see some fucking shit, you know, that, that they showed. I'm just, it makes me very happy that they're doing it again. And I will look very yeah. much forward to seeing it when it comes out. Yeah, I will definitely be in theater for that one. But, yeah, so looking forward to Jackass forever. As soon as it comes out, I'll be in there seeing it. But, all right, so with that said, what else uh, do you have for horror news now that we direct it towards the oh, genre that we're right. in? So, uh, several pieces of news uh, surrounding the upcoming uh, Chucky uh, t- Child's Play television uh, revival uh, mm-hmm. series uh, creator Don Mancini has announced uh, that the release date is October 12th of this year. Uh, the uh, series will air on both USA and Sci-Fi at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the first episode coming on October 12th. Uh, loose pro- plot synopsis is that a Vintage Chucky doll uh, turns up at a yard sale in a small, idyllic American town, uh, and the reappearance obviously plunges the town into chaos. Um, they've revealed some more details. Uh, they said that the, the Chucky that you will see on screen uh, has been specifically modeled after the Chucky doll from Child's Play 2. Uh, creators of the series say that they, uh, they're really hoping for success here. Uh, so a, they can do more seasons, but they did say, uh, that there is also a goal, uh, to get Chucky back to the big screen. Uh, Don Mancini also says that one of the things that influenced him to pursue this, uh, in the TV forum, uh, was the success of the, Hannibal uh, TV series, seeing something uh, that were a property that was such an indelible theatrical uh, property, being able to successfully transition to a small screen format, uh, inspired him to create Child's Play as a TV series. Uh, and that also, for fans, he wanted to let everyone know uh, that for fans that might have been concerned about the ability for Chucky to truly display uh, his profane personality uh, that were might have been worried about him needing to have some degree of censorship on the small screen. Uh, Mantini says, don't worry. Uh, he was given the green light uh, from USA and sci-fi to 
to include include up to 10 F-bombs per episode. Now, uh, yeah, okay. I'll believe that when I necessarily, see it. <laughs> he isn't necessarily yeah. going to to have 10 F-bombs per episode, but he says that he has the permission to use as many as F, as many as 10 fuck, per episode. Fuck, That's fuck, what he says. Fuck, fuck. That's what he says. And he says that he knows that this is a very important uh, aspect of Chucky's personality to many fans. He said even, uh, you know, given that Spielberg's Ready Player One film adaptation was PG-13, and in a PG-13 film, you only get one shot at an F-bomb used in a certain, uh, used in a certain way. Uh, that the F-bomb used in Ready Player One was said by the appearance of Chucky in Ready Player One. So uh, Mancini says, don't worry, uh, you know, Chucky will, will be speaking freely, if you will. Well, it wasn't... <clears throat> Hold on right there. I mean, it wasn't said by Chucky. It was said in regard nope. to Chucky. It's fucking Chucky, which was kind of a play, one, on the fact that it's Chucky from Child's Play, but two, was a play on that internet video that had gone around with that little kid saying, oh, it's fucking oh, Chucky yeah. did it. Um, fucking Chucky. So it wasn't Chucky, it wasn't Chucky who said the F-bomb in that movie. It was the other character who saw him coming. Aha. Uh-huh. So there you go. So Thank you for that Chucky context, that school. But in regard to that anyway, though, I mean, look, the reality is I don't care if Chucky says a fucking thousand F-bombs or if he says none at all. As long as the content itself, as long as the content is good, that's what should count. You know, do you want to show that stage true to him just cursing up a storm, but the rest of it sucks, or do you want an actual quality show? I will take a quality show over just a foul-mouthed Brad Dorff the entire time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, don't well, need the, the you, you have to wait until October 12th to find out, and then you will get the opportunity to see if you have a quality show or if you have something to the level of the, the Critters TV show from a year ago. Uh, so we will you see know. what happens. Yeah. We will see the trailer's out. what happens. Watch it. The trailer is out for it. I'm talking to our Facebook page. I've been watching uh, Doc... I've been watching Pacey Witter on Apple Plus playing Dr. Death. Dr. Death. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm only one Good episode one. into that. And, uh, yeah, it seems interesting so far. Yeah. I like the casting. Yeah, anyway. It's fantastic. Yeah, Alec Baldwin's actually pretty strong in it, so I'm happy with it. So, but, yeah, I can't wait to check out more of Dr. Death. But, uh, all right, so moving on from Chucky, what else do you have? You don't mean Steve Williams. No, no, not that Dr. Death. Mm-hmm. Although he was a fantastic writer. <laughs> Moving on from Chucky, uh, one of the current uh, properties that has had so much buzz surrounding it has been the three-movie Fear Street series for Netflix um, that has now Mm -hmm. fully aired. Um, Director Lee Janiak says that uh, they want to expand the Fear Street universe, and they hope for it to become... Uh, for Fear Street to become the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Horror, uh, saying that there's so much room in Shady Side, in Shady Side, uh, where they can just build from the mythology, build out from the mythology around uh, Shady Side, uh, introducing uh, you know killers from all different eras and time frames, 
uh, that there's just so much story to be told surrounding that mythology. So uh, Lee Janiak hoping to, to, to really get the opportunity to expand upon the world that was created in the three films. And uh, another little Clear Street note is that uh, in the sometime this winter, uh, if this is your thing, uh, Waxwork Records uh, is going to be presenting a three LP vinyl record set, uh, each record containing the score uh, for the three different films. Uh, this will be coming in at the price of $50, for which for like a three LP set such as that is right in the price range uh, that it should be. If you said, hey, uh, Dean, how much do you think like a three-record set of Fear Street uh, scores would cost? I would, without hesitation, say 50 bucks. So that's right in line okay. with, with current vital pricing. And if that's your thing, uh, you know, uh, you'll get a chance to check that out. And uh, really quick uh, vinyl note, I recently acquired uh, the first edition of John Carpenter's Lost Themes, and it's just fucking it's spectacular. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I just want to say that real quick. I was listening to it on Tuesday, yesterday, and it's just fucking awesome. So uh, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Uh, also in the world of Netflix, uh, some Army of the Dead notes. Uh, Netflix says Ooh. that Army of the Dead has had 75 million views. Now, uh, it also, where I was doing this, also said to take this information uh, with a grain of salt because the metrics that Netflix uses uh, counts a view as two minutes of viewing time because they say two minutes of viewing time guarantees uh, in most cases that someone shows uh, to put that on. So they did not say Hmm. how many people or how many accounts watched it from start to finish, uh, just that they have 75 million views. And, uh, while there's no release date yet, uh, most people are expecting by the end of the year, uh, we'll get the opportunity, if you're interested in watching it, to see Army of Thieves uh, following the safe-cracking exploits of Ludwig Dieter from the Army of the Dead film. Uh, again, no release date, but they did release a new poster uh, that did come with the interesting tagline that said, uh, more safes, less zombies. So, uh, don't necessarily know what kind of Zombie content, if any, is going to be in this film. Uh, if Dieter's safe-cracking exploits are going to take us into the start of the zombie apocalypse, or if it's going on and in the early stages of it, but a uh, little bit of a teaser that uh, the, we're not going to have the level of zombie imagery or carnage that we saw in Army of the Dead. So that's what's going on. Well, in the I mean, I guess that kind of depends on his age, too, though, because we know that the... <laughs> Dawn of the Dead movie took place in 2004, and there's the newspaper clip that that puts that in that universe. So we know, for at the very least, they've been around for that many years. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you have it. You can always count on the on the ghoul to be keeping up with the minutia that no one else pays attention to. Of course. Come on, man. All about the details, dude. All about the. That is the king's favorite movie. Sure. He loves we'll it. We'll go it. He loves it. Yeah, clearly. Listen to our episode where I talked about how much I love that movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, also, last week we talked about the uh, Final Girl Support Group, a novel written by Grady Hendrix. And yeah. 
Uh, I did not know that this had already been announced, but even before this novel was published, which it just came out a week ago, uh, that it had been optioned for series like sometime late last year. Uh, right now, the Final Girl support group uh, is being developed as a limited series for HBO Max. Uh, it director Andy Muschietti is going to be directing the pilot for HBO Max, uh, and that is what is known. Uh, that is what is known at this time. Um, I have not had a chance to read uh, this novel yet. I had reported last week also uh, that Adrian King from Friday the Thirteenth is going to be doing the. Uh, voice narration for the audiobook, which is now also available, um, but sounded like an interesting concept. Uh, I might look for an opportunity to read it, but uh, you will also have the chance to to see this on the screen. As like I said, it's currently in development for HBO Max. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm halfway through it. I have the the ebook. I heard enough bad things about the the narration from Adrian King that I didn't want to get the audiobook, but I do have it on the. On my ebook, about halfway through it. I hope it's better. Than yeah, the you know, um, no. I I have never listened to uh, an audiobook ever. I just I don't. Yeah, I'm not a fan I of it either. Just uh, I don't know if it's for me. Uh, you know, I might have to try one yeah. out to listen to one, uh, but I've never listened to one. It just it's not something that's ever appealed to me. So. No. You know what? I Yeah. I have never ever like okay, so I've really never listened to an audiobook either. Except for right. one. The first and only audiobook and I listened to it a lot was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I used to have the C D of that. Um and it was fantastic. Oh, I know what you're talking like, about, but that's that's the one with all of the music and all of the different uh, like, yeah, like actors like all that the you know that were playing all the different parts that had like the yeah, hologram other, CD cover, right? To, I have that too. Yes, it wasn't attached to the movie. It was, you know, something prior to the film. No, this came, you were this the came before the movie. It. This came way that's before the saying. movie. It came prior to the film, yes. So like, right, that's now, why in the, in the movie, uh, certain things just seemed off for me, like specifically when Tobey Maguire plays the role of the hitchhiker, like in my head... The hitchhiker was the person in that audio CD, not how Tobey Maguire played it, because the kid that played it in the audio CD just came off as a, a, a little more excited, enthusiastic, and wishy-washy, whereas Tobey Maguire yeah. played it as if he was way weirded out, you know? Yeah, um, I would... I'd have to look it up to get like the full cast. Now, now here's the thing. That's a, that's like an this is like this weird, interesting um, like piece that was released. Uh, that's that CD, and I never thought of that as an audio book because it it doesn't stick like to the complete novel. It's like a it's like a it's like a almost like a like a big summary of the novel uh, in a way. Gotcha. It's not uh, necessarily totally, somebody reading I, it word for word. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not a, an audiobook, but if I remember correctly, like uh I think Jimmy Buffett was one of the voices and um who else was was do I remember being involved in that? Uh Jimmy Buffett was definitely one of the voices for certain. Um Harry Shearer was a voice for sure. And I feel like um shit. Um What's the name of the actress that uh, 
Roseanne's sister? Is that Lori Metcalf? Yes. Lori Metcalf, too. But there was more. Like, there was more names. I just, those are the ones that, that stand out in my memory. But I totally had that. And probably, I think I still do have that. Uh, that's the one, like, right, Keith? It had, it had ghoul. Uh, it had, like, a holographic kind of cover yeah, to it. Yeah, it had a, tr- a trippy cover to it. Yeah, it's, it's the like imagery. It, it's like an orangey, yellowy uh, um, uh, cover. Um, and there was like yeah. a brief moment that not, I don't think, I think I looked not sometime, I don't know, maybe like a year ago, sometime during COVID, I think I might've looked because a couple of years ago, there was a time when like, like that, a copy of that CD, uh, became one of those things that like was going for like a hundred or 200 bucks online. But I, I, I don't know if more kind of surfaced or whatnot, because now I, I, I just pulled it up real quick. You can get one, you can get one for like, like just a few bucks now, like, like, like cool. five bucks. I had no idea what actors or actresses were in it, man, because as far as I was concerned, it was fucking, it was Hunter, it was Dr. Gonzo, it was all the craziness that eventually I, I got to see in yeah. full fucking film form, you know? Yeah, Thompson, uh, Thompson, his voice is featured on it. He does have the opening, there's like an opening statement before it starts that, that Thompson, that, that he recorded for that. Um I, I'm, I'm, I'd have to look through my shit, but I'm pretty certain uh, that I that I still have it. But anyway, but anyway, um, so yeah. We, 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 with that being said, the, the final statement there is that both myself and the ghoul uh, don't like audiobooks. I don't like them either. And the king, the king, the king doesn't, doesn't like it. Like so, uh, so. Um, Please, our, to our loyal fans, please do not send the King of Horror any audiobooks. No, we not going to get hurt. In all sincerity, uh, to not send audiobooks. <laughs> I definitely no, don't I send have audiobooks of the, of, the, of the 2004 novelization of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, yeah, no, I'm good. Oh, right, that I was the, the audiobook that was done by Zack Snyder. Yes, please send 10... Ten files of that to, to the ghoul immediately. I can, uh, I mean, to the king immediately. I can, I can provide his email address if needed. I have my '78 version by George Romero and Susanna Sparrow. Thank you. I'll stick to that one. Don't need. I don't want to hear Zack Snyder read uh, the novelization. I, I would kill myself. And I like to live. I like life. So no, thank you. Indeed. So what's next, Dave? As we steam ahead. Uh, towards like October, uh, we are inside the, the three-month window uh, of getting the opportunity to, opportunity to check out uh, the Halloween Kills. Uh, with that being said, there's been some new imagery this week with uh, you know the Michael Myers mask uh, showing up, uh, looking burnt and crispy uh, in some of this imagery. Uh, but uh, related to Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, Jamie Lee Curtis has said, once again, has said mm. that she really believes that Halloween Ends is the last time that she will play Laurie Strode. Uh, you know, we, sure. we've heard this a lot over the last 30-something years, but she <laughs> yeah. says for sure, for sure that this is the last time. And she says that um, she's not saying this because her character gets killed in Halloween Ends, but she's saying that the context of the story that's being told leads her to believe 
uh, that this will be not that the, it is the last time that she believes it will be the last time uh, that she plays Laurie Strode. She and it's also said uh, a little bit of info squeaking out about Halloween Ends uh, is that Halloween Ends is going to be a way more uh, contained film than the 2018 film and Halloween Kills. Uh, that they're going to be taking a different approach um, with the with the hope being able to show some different tones and perspectives in Halloween Ends. So uh, a much more contained film. And I don't know if that means like contained as, uh, you know, just the general storyline, if, if that means the setting is more contained, uh, like, like an isolated location, I don't know. Uh, but those are some of the little little tidbits that have squeaked out uh, surrounding Halloween ends. But, uh, you know, we got a whole film to see uh, before we even, there's any reason talking about Halloween ends. And uh, once again, as we've said on the show many times, and I'm sure there will be other news things we talk about that will cause us to say this once again, uh, coming this October, uh, the second in the David Gordon Green, Danny McBride Halloween trilogy, Halloween Kills, arrives in theaters, and as I have said uh, previously, uh, will mark my return, uh, my personal return, uh, of course, if things don't go completely haywire uh, in COVID land, will be my return to the cinema. So, uh, there's the news I have about uh, the Halloween universe for this evening. All right, yeah. Let's see what happens. Thank you. The Law and Order Halloween ends. Awesome. Are we going to say ghoul? No. Okay. Moving on. I think the ghoul was just was heaping praise upon me for my for my news story. Oh yeah, well we always now, do. As as one, uh, I'm interesting to I'm interested to hear what what you gentlemen have to say about this. Uh, myself speaking from a place of one who is not uh, a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but uh, with Black Widow. Uh, bringing in the $80 million on its opening weekend, uh, they said that it also had uh, the biggest drop-off from opening weekend to second weekend of any film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with Black Widow dropping uh, 67.3% from opening weekend to the second uh, weekend, with theater owners uh, blasting Disney uh, for the simultaneous release to Disney+, Plus, where I, I believe I read it was carrying a $30 additional fee to watch, uh, they said that the strategy has undercut the film's theatrical potential, uh, that the theatrical, a full theatrical release means more revenue for all stakeholders in every cycle of uh, the movie's life. So uh, theater owners blasting uh, Disney for, for having it on Disney Plus as well. I know this was not a surprise that it was going to happen, but I think maybe the huge drop-off uh, might have been a surprise as well. I, I can't speak to the quality of the film. Uh, you know, whether it's a good film that would have warranted more audience or if people saw it and were kind of like, eh, so it had its drop off. So um, I'm hoping that maybe there's some more information that, that, that either of you can shed on this, because as we know, uh, this is not my, this is not my uh, true department. Hmm. Oh, cool. Take this one. Cause you saw it. Uh, yeah, listen, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the movie. I thought the, the movie was, uh, was all right. You know, it, uh, listen, it's, it's not, it's not Endgame. It's not, you know, Infinity right. War. It, it, it is, that's not what this film was, is, 
wasn't what it was pushed to be. Um, you know, I, uh, I've watched it twice now. Um, you know, the first time around, yeah, I wasn't all that, uh, that, that thrilled with the movie, you know, mostly because it, it subverted my expectations of what the film was going to be. Um, that being said, the second time around, you know what? I actually ended up enjoying it a lot more. And that time alone ended up moving the film up from the lower portion of, you know, my, my rankings as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe goes to a more midline area of, of the films. Um, it's obviously not the greatest film that they have, but it's certainly not the worst either. Um, as far as that in regards to theatrical, I don't know if I'd say that the uh, that that them doing the Disney Plus release, you know, with their their premiere access, cost them all that much more money. Um, I you know I did it cost theaters money, of course. That I get the theater you know industry. Yeah, they took a hit from it. Um, you know, because you figure, okay, let's say like for me, I've got a household of four people. That would have been four people that went, bought movie tickets to go see it. You know, popcorn, soda, pretzels with cheese, whatever else we get. That is what the theater we know what industry you get. is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I get. Two fucking things of that pretzels with cheese, man. Um, you get two now? Oh, yeah. Uh, King, King of Heart, I don't know if you know this, but in in all of the in all of the uh films that uh the ghoul and I ever saw in the theaters uh you know he he did get uh pretzels with cheese every single time and not once ever would he ever give me not one pretzel not one single pretzel oh, no, ever good. so no I just, no. I just want to say that out loud that's so what I did after yeah, absolutely not <laughs> So, so anyway, yes, I, I graduated. I graduated up to two simply for the fact that you finish the first one before the movie even starts. You know, because you want you want to you eat it while the cheese is still hot. Um, so, so at least this way, by the time the movie finally starts, I'm digging into that second one. I'm already starting to feel a little sickish. The cheese has gone from, like, that nice piping hot cheese to, like, a, a medium temperature, thicker viscosity type of, uh, type of deal. It's no longer liquid as much as it's almost like a uh, uh, kind of like a gelatin. So anyway, mm-hmm. though. So that's what the theater industry is missing on it. I don't know if this is the kind of film that was going to get repeat viewings and stuff like that. It's not like this is layered with a ton of stuff that's, that's showing us what's coming up next in the, in the Marvel Universe. Again, that wasn't what this film was supposed to be showing us. All of that, you know, true believers, is on the Disney Plus series. Mm. That is where the shit has been at as far as moving you know, the, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward. Black Widow was more of a, an exclamation point for the finality of the last phase. Um, but obviously, you know, COVID right. screwed all that up, delayed it by a year, and then, you know, they, they decided not to just go with the... Uh, with the uh, with the theatrical only, I I didn't go theater. Obviously, you know I got it. Uh, I'll wait out my thirty days or whatever it is that I'll have access to it, and then in a couple months it'll be available on Disney Plus like every other Disney Plus movie. I'm still gonna buy it when it releases digitally because I have all the Marvel movies, you know. So that's uh, 
you know, that, that, that's a given. And I think any Marvel fan is more than likely to do that. I know people that haven't gone to go see it in the theater or got the Disney Premiere Plus who are big Marvel fans. They just mm-hmm. don't want to go to the theater. They don't want to spend the money, and they don't want to risk getting COVID because of all the, the scares that have, that have been going on. And with the Delta variant and all that shit, you know, people are shitting their pants again. Yeah, there's been a lot of that, but all right, there you have it. All right, James, what else do you have? Maybe that maybe you all would like to know that if you think back to the times when you might have been standing online at the checkout counter in the supermarket with your mother, uh, when you were dragged along to go food shopping, uh, you might have looked oh, to the to time. the little. <laughs> What's that? I got beat one time. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like every kid, every kid probably took a turn getting their ass whooped in the supermarket at some time or another. But you might have been standing online at the checkout counter uh, where they have some of the magazines and and whatnot, and and looked up and and seen an article about you know like a Bat Boy that had been discovered uh, in some cave yes. somewhere. Uh, <laughs> or news of that ilk. <laughs> and then you would have been realizing that you were that you were looking at the uh, the periodical of journalistic integrity known as the Weekly World News. Now, mm-hmm. it's been quite some time since the Weekly World News has has gone out of print, uh, but they've decided to let you know that even though that you haven't seen a new issue of Weekly World News uh, in quite some time, their their journalists have been hard at work out there around the globe sourcing. Uh, all of these legitimate stories that they would present to us. And they, they say the time is right now to, to debut and let us all know uh, that World, Weekly World News Studios uh, is upon us, which is going to be uh, a forum that creates and develops films, television, and podcast projects based on the company library of 110,000 articles and 300 plus original characters. Uh, and the first project that Weekly World News is going to be debuting to us uh, is a film uh, from the Weekly World News film studio that is going to be called The Zombie Wedding. And that this is going to be a mix of horror, comedy, and music following a young South Carolina couple. Uh, that has decided to hold their wedding during the zombie apocalypse. And the one hitch here is that the groom is a zombie. So uh, when the zombie, when the groom and his zombie family come to the wedding to to marry his wife, uh, the humans uh, turn out to be very judgmental. Uh, But then the groom's family starts to get hungry and things start to get weird and out of control. And luckily, uh, Weekly World News reporters were on site uh, to cover this wedding uh, as it gets out of hand and hopefully uh, can get out alive with their story. So uh, if you were a fan of the Weekly World News, uh, you should be looking forward to the zombie wedding and many other projects that should be getting announced sometime on the horizon. Mm, stay tuned. Indeed. Good to see that. All right. What else you got for you? Zombie wedding. So, also, I would like to let you know uh, that if you were considering a journey to Long Island, 
uh, you might find a town in Long Island that is called Smithtown. And in Smithtown, Long Island, on Friday, August 6th, they're going to be having the first annual Smithtown Underground All-Nighter. And from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. at the Smithtown Library, uh, they're going to have an old-fashioned popcorn trolley, soda, chips, and they're also going to have raffles, and that Robert England has donated some stuff to be raffled off, uh, and Shudder has sent over uh, some DVDs to raffle off, uh, and they're going to be showing the following films uh, all night long. They're going to be showing uh, 1988's version of The Blob. They're going to be showing Session 9, uh, personal favorite, Enter the Ninja, not as good as Revenge of the Ninja, uh, Messiah of Evil, Demons, and Night of the Demons. And this is going to be a free event open oh, to anyone yeah, with a library Revenge card. Uh, to this. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the Smithtown Library, if you have a card, uh, teens are welcome to attend as long as they're accompanied by uh, legal guardian or someone over the age of 18, and anyone over the age of 18 that is a library card member can attend this free event. Um but once you're in, you have to stay. If you leave, you can't come back in. There is no re-entry. So uh, if you want to sit in the library be. and watch a bunch of these films with a bunch of people, uh, you will have your chance. That sounds awesome. Shokasugi was a fucking god back in the 80s, man. That makes I know, eyes. man. And Enter the Ninja was great, dude. But, uh, you know, I, Revenge of the Ninja, to me, is superior to Enter the Ninja. And while, uh, while uh, Ninja Through the Domination is one of the greatest films ever created in any genre. Uh, for different reasons, I love that one dearly, but Revenge of the Fucking Ninja is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, so what else do you have, Dean? Uh, finally, to wrap this up, as I see the clock, uh, Stephen King's uh, first collection of short stories, uh, which was called Night Shift, uh, is going to become mm-hmm. uh, the first property of his that is going to enter the realm of the uh, podcast universe uh, that's going to be called Strawberry String. Uh, sorry, Strawberry Spring. Uh, the story is going to be following a journalist uh, who hears the Dame Spring Heel Jack on a radio show, which brings back memories of the first time uh, when this journalist was a student and heard about this particular serial killer for the first time and this story uh, ignites something inside this journalist uh, who makes him go on a hunt uh, for the killer at all costs all costs uh, this is being brought to you by audio up audio up media and iheart media podcasts um, basically you know it sounds like this is going to be presented uh, as like a like a radio play kind of presentation, hmm. uh, there is some casting. Um, uh, Milo Vent, what, what, how do you say is Ventimiglia? Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be one of yeah. the voices as, as well as some others. So uh, the first Stephen King property to be presented as a as a podcast. Um, you know, expect to, to be able to hear this uh, sometime. Uh, later this year, close to the end of the year. So if that is your kind of thing, uh, that is going to be, uh, you know, something that you can listen to and uh, enjoy as they continue to mine everything Stephen King has ever written uh, for for new content. 
Ooh. As they do. Yeah. That's a treasure trove. It's got plenty of, of things. So. All right. Uh, so with that being said, let's get into the movie for tonight. Uh, 1982's Alone in the Dark, directed by Jack Shoulder. Uh, this is my pick, so I'll give you uh, a rundown of the plot, uh, give my thoughts, and then I'll turn it to the boys. Uh, so Dr. Dan Potter has arrived at the Haven Mental Hospital to replace Dr. Harry Merton, who recently accepted a job at the Winfield State Mental Hospital in Philadelphia. While there, he meets the head of the clinic, Dr. Leo Bain, a free-thinking, pot-smoking psychiatrist that thinks of his patients as voyages, even the worst of the worst on the third floor. Frank Hawks, Byron Sutcliffe, a.k.a. Preacher, Ronald Fatty Elster, and John Skagg, a.k.a. The Bleeder, who never shows his face to strangers. Hawks believes that Potter has killed Burton and needs to figure out a way to escape with the others and kill him in revenge. Luckily for these psychopaths, a citywide blackout occurs. The men escape, arm themselves, and make their way to the Potter home, where they believe bloody justice shall be served. So that gives you an overview of the film as far as what I thought about it. It's, it's, it's one of those that I... I have a look for. I saw it back in the early 90s. Um, it was featured in the horror clip show called Terror in the Isles that was released uh, around the same year this movie came out. Uh, it was hosted by Nancy Allen and Donald Pleasant. So it was released in theaters. It was basically a clip show. So uh, Alone in the Dark was one of those clips with Martin Landau laughing at the bike messenger to take his hat. And I just thought I had to seek that out. I love Jack Palance. And you guys know I'm a huge fan of Donald Pleasant because in this movie he's playing the complete opposite of Dr. Loomis, and I think that's a, a bonus uh, just because of how adorable he is, the little Donald Pleasant walking around. Chubby, 1982, no goatee. You know, it's a new world for, for Donald Pleasant. It's one year removed from Halloween, too. Uh, so with that being said, cool. what would you think about Along the Dark? All right, so, so I know this isn't my first time seeing this film. Dean, um, was it you that had said that we, like, watched this one time at, at my house back in the day? Uh, this is correct. Okay. Um, all right. So, like I said, I, I know this isn't the first time I've seen the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to, just, to, to, just to hit a quick, like, idea on my feelings on it. Like, I, I enjoy this movie, um, but this is one of those films that I think I enjoy the concept of this film a lot more than I enjoy the overall execution of said film. I feel like this is like somebody said, hey, you know, let's take One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mix it in with the slasher genre, and, uh, and sprinkle in the fact that we just had a big blackout in 1977, and, uh, and we're going to make a horror movie about it. Um, you know, I, uh, I Assault on Precinct 13 also, like, comes to mind, like, those, those type of deals where you have, you know, people, like, trapped in a house and they're stuck, you know, with, with people assaulting them from the, from the outside. Uh, overall, like, yeah, I, I find the film to, to be enjoyable, and I, I enjoyed watching it, but it's not one that I could ever really see myself going back to, like, say, hey, I, I really want to watch Alone in the Dark again. Uh, I wish it was, you know, like, I, I almost wish this movie had a remake. Like, I'd love to see what they can do with, uh, with a fresher cast and maybe a little bit more uh, tightening of the script material. Mm -hmm. yeah, great point all around. All right, so, Dean, what would you think about Alone in the Dark? All right, so... I feel just a quick, quick background, um, and I will, I will get to my feelings. So please bear with me. Sure. I will try to keep it uh, brief. Uh, but I feel like it's important to add context when some context might be necessary. Uh, this is one of word those tonight? where what context? What word? Context. Did I say that? Many, have I said that many times this evening? 
Do you have you? Have you said it a I'm lot? I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. You have. Right. Have I? Have you? I'm asking you anyway. if I have. You have, have you so what? moving on. All right, here we go. <laughs> Into the trap. <laughs> so this is one where I wish I could remember where I saw the clamshell uh, for this one for the first time, because it was certainly uh, not where I was able to to rent something. I might have seen uh, the clamshell for this and read the back of it at, like, the English Town auction. There was a, a guy that had horror videos for sale and, like, saw the cover, which appealed to me, like, the leg with the axe, the house in the distance at the nighttime with the moon shining, and read the back, which at the time, story-wise, uh, that kind of plot held much appeal uh, to me at that time, and it was like, damn. And then, you know, places where I rented movies just never, just didn't have it. It was not a title. They had it in stock. Now, uh, what made me, I don't even remember the title of it, and when, like, the internet became a thing, um, and being able to like look up all this minutia about film that we that we have at our fingertips, uh, I started to like I remembered like the plot in the cover and was like searching the the internet to try to find what film this was and ultimately of course I discovered what film it was and like ordered a VHS copy of it off of eBay. I was like, all right, like this is like here's the the magic of the internet, like where like the availability of like anything you wanted was just like a few pushes of buttons. So I ordered the VHS copy. This might've even been pre DVD era and we're at the very dawn of the DVD era when like not everyone had a DVD player because they were still like four or 500 bucks. DVDs were still expensive. But anyway, uh, that's not important. What's important was that I acquired this VHS tape, and uh, at this point in time uh, was when uh, the ghoul and I were still having the opportunity to like regularly hang out at night and 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 just watch films like you know pretty much weekly or sometimes a couple times a week. And uh, you know I brought over Alone in the Dark. Oh, I've been wanting to see this horror movie uh, for so long. And at the time that I had acquired that tape, I also had uh, more. Uh, knowledge and appreciation about the cast members in this film. Uh, and I remember watching it that first and only time uh, that I've seen it up until now, uh, being kind of disappointed upon that first viewing. Uh, I It's one of those situations where I kind of like had built up, like kind of like built my idea of it up in my head a little bit uh, without mm. really knowing uh, about the film and was just, like, hoping for more. And, yes, obviously, the caliber of performers uh, that are in this film, uh, when watching it for that first time, I, like, could not get past, like, just kind of how, like, kind of stiff and unnatural uh, it all seemed to me, and kind of, like, scenery-chewing and... and... Hmm. Oh, we might have lost them. He never goes uh, silent like that. No, not in the middle of a thought like that. So we might have. So uh, uh, we'll continue on. You know, maybe he'll, he'll pipe back in. I see he's still connected. But uh, so 
Yeah, so when we get into the movie, you know, we are introduced to uh, Preacher right away, uh, Byron Suckleff, who's having a bad dream, where he's in a mom's diner uh, getting usual, which is a gigantic fish, and it leads to Donald Pleasant showing up in a little chef's outfit um, and giving him scripture before raising him up by his ankles and then splitting him right down the middle. And then we find out we are in an institution, and it's run by Dr. Leo Bain, who has these ideas of how patients are all just voyagers on their own trip. And it's just not like any kind of jailhouse he wants to run. And you could see that he lets people kind of just carry on. You know, he lets uh, Lynn Shea, who has a cameo, play the receptionist, which I loved. How she thinks that he's invisible. And when Dr. Potter asks him about it, he goes, well, to her, I am invisible. I was like, it's just so cool to see Donald Pleasance play opposite the, just the, the Van Helsing uh, Loomis character, where he's just giving hugs and he's smoking pot and he's just having a great time. You know, I just I love the, to see the the f- more fun side of Donald Pleasance for once. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's pot that he's smoking. I think it's just like pipe leaf. Um, Maybe, yeah. But, but yeah, I thought I, it was pot. I I kind of yeah. I mean, I like to think of it that it, that it was, but uh, you know, like. It, I wouldn't go as far as saying this is the opposite of the Loomis role. I just feel like okay. this is more of a subdued version of hmm. Loomis. You know, I know we, we've had the discussion of Halloween many a time, and I feel like in a lot yeah. of ways, Dr. Loomis is just as crazy as the patients <laughs> in mm-hmm. the hospital that he treats. And that is in full effect in this film. He is 100%. Honestly, again, because oh, my insane. memory yeah, of, of this movie was so, like, limited from when I saw it that first time, and the only time, like, like the Bean, the whole time I'm watching this movie, I kept thinking either, A, he was the one that made them, who got them out to begin with, like, he caused the blackout, or B, that he was one of them. And that it's that he had replaced mm. the real doctor. And, like, you know, because that guy had said he had never met him. You know, he had only spoken to him over the phone. Um, so, like, you know, being that he just – it just seemed like inmates were running the show at this place. So it just almost felt like, you know, I was waiting for the big twist where it was going to be that, you know, the fucking – the doctor wasn't really the doctor, that all these people were really dead and in, like, a room somewhere, and this guy's going to find out the whole time that, like, the people that he thought were, were you know, his most trusted freaking help are actually the, the criminals that he's, that he's trying to, to, to keep in check. Um, but that, alas, did not, did not happen. So, so no, but yes, he uh, Pleasant definitely is playing a complete one hundred percent lunatic in this movie. Uh, he's insane, and and you see it later at the end where he just completely fucking lost it, where it's like he's just he's completely unhinged, and and you know the calls that he's trying to make to him, he's all upset. You know, you think he's mad at me? Like, do you think I said something? Do you think he's ignoring me? Like, you know, like a, like a little girl, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for her boyfriend to call her back. I just I loved it, but it's the whole thing of how this facility is open to everybody that in this hospital as a patient, but the third floor, that's where you have the bleeder and the preacher and, and Frank Hawks, you know, uh, and uh, fatty. But at the same time, they are allowed to walk around pretty freely as well. I mean, they are locked up after dark because that's the whole thing that this place is run on electricity. So they have the, the, you have to get in by key card access, you know, and there's bars that lock on the doors. So you're protected. But at the same time, we see that preacher is pretty walking around pretty freely when uh, Dr. Potter is talking to uh, Ray Curtis, 
And Ray Curtis is like, yeah, well, they yeah. want to fucking kill you, dude. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, hey. that's because <laughs> what? they're allowed to walk freely around on their floor. And Ray Curtis is kind of like their care, you know, their caretaker. Um, I related it to the uh, the Rob Zombie, Danny Trejo role in uh, Halloween in the remake, um, where you oh, kind of yeah. have like you know, when it's a, have a whole me. floor of people. <laughs> I was good to you. I was good to you. He's gonna be at Monster Mania next <laughs> month, man. That's uh, that's, that's a good a, get. I, I saw the I saw I the list of the, you, uh, the people they got going there, man. <laughs> I um, was good to you, uh, Mikey. Is back. Uh, do you yeah, want to finish your thought, Dean? Uh, where was I? <laughs> I don't know when yeah. I got cut sure. off. Like, I finished, and then sure I was like, hello, hello? <laughs> I have, you were still I have no idea when I cut out You were still delivering your context to what you were going to see for the film. So you went through the whole clamshell case story. Um, oh, man. Getting it. Uh, You're disappointed. The last thing I remember you saying. You, you were watching the movie. Yeah, all right. So, uh, the... All right. So very quickly, I, I, my context is over. But, like, look, seeing Jack Palance, uh, Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, um, and Dwight Schultz, a.k.a. Mad Murdoch, um, I feel like it was funny to see uh, not so much Dwight Schultz, but uh, Jack Palance and Donald Pleasance and Martin Landau, uh, you know, three actors with, you know, different levels of, like, esteem behind their name, uh, in, in this kind of film, I feel like uh, maybe not necessarily Pleasance because of his ties to the Halloween series, although it was just the first two right. at this point in time, uh, that maybe this material was like kind of like a little bit below them. Uh, but uh, the scenery chewing, uh, a lot of fun like scenery chewing and, and, and some overacting. But to me, uh, watching this now, it, it just... Uh, suffers from what I just feel so many films, regardless of genre, uh, from this era suffer from, which this is just this kind of datedness because, like, the early 80s were, like, a strange time, you know? And it was interesting to take a look at this again. Um, disappointment upon my my first viewing, but more, it's more like a curiosity uh, piece now, um, to see it now. And... Uh, you know, I'm glad it was a choice, but this is, you know, this is not, I don't think this is something I'm going to, like, seek out on my own to, like, to watch again. Mm. And it's also, when, when we, we contrast the characters, like, of, of Hawks and Preacher, Fatty and the Bleeders, that, that, that uh, Jack Palance, he is the most reserved of them. I mean, he does have his moments where he can freak out, you know, and be crazy, but he is kind of, you think of him as the more level-headed of the psychos. Like he's the one that knows that if he gets too close to the windows, that they'll shut because the electronic system in place. So that's his first test when the power goes out is to test those windows. I mean, he, he knows in his head, at least he thinks he knows, that, that Merton was killed by Potter, and they have to kill him in revenge, even though he tells Potter later, oh, I know he's in Philadelphia. Like, I don't, I don't understand why you're interrogating me. You know, why don't you just leave me alone? You know, I, just, I loved his performance because it was so subdued. Where as you have Martin Landau hysterically laughing the entire time and lighting jackets on fire, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs, just completely chewing up the scenery. It's a, it was a fun balance. Well, yeah, I think his whole thing there, though, too, is it's, it's a matter of, you know, he's just not wanting to get busted, so to say. You know what I mean? He's got the plot. Right. I don't think right. it's a matter yep. of him knowing that Merton's actually alive. 
I mean, the biggest difference, I think, between the other three and, and Hawk, you know, Hawks is a war hero. He's obviously suffering from PTSD, you know, so... so he also I, knows the secret of life. PTSD, <laughs> I mean, is obviously a, uh, is a mental illness, but in this particular case, his thing. mental illness was caused by, by the trauma of what he right. saw in the war, whereas the others are, you know, obviously they have a, a natural affinity towards the mental illness. Um, but the one, the, the, the heavy set guy was a kid toucher. Um, yes, he was. Preacher liked to, preacher liked to set churches on fire with people. Fires. Um, I know. You know yeah, the I bleeder, love to see when, like, when Jack Palance is explaining all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, Jack Palance's intensity you know, is is what it is. See, again, like, the thing is, like, for me, watching this movie, even when we watched it that first time, Dean, um, you know, my point of reference for these actors, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, I I know Murdoch. I watched the A-Team religiously as a kid. Um, But for me, Jack Palance, you know, he was curly in City Slickers, a movie that I watched, like, once when I was, like, you know, when it first came out. I really wasn't, like, the biggest of fans. I'm not really a Billy Crystal fan. Um, no, me either. And, and the only other thing I know Jack Palance from is Batman. the 1989 Batman. You know, like, that's the other film that I know Jack Palance from. Uh, Martin Landau, yeah. I had no frame of reference for him as far as, like, memory goes. And, uh, yeah, the, the heavy set guy I know I've seen in other things. I just, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know what they are, but I've seen him. He's got Morning a familiar man. face. There's Dynamo. Um, yeah, there There's you go, Dynamo. Dynamo. Right there you go, boom. You know, come on, an erratic singing freaking guy with neon on um, and shooting electricity. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, but obviously yeah. for me, Donald Pleasance is the big draw for me to see this yeah. movie, and there's really not a lot yep. of him in the film, so that's no why it was a disappointment as well. And that's why you, you enjoy the scenes that he's in. Like I said, when Preacher uh, asks uh, Doctor Potter for matches, and he's like, "You're not supposed to have those." And well, Doctor Bane lets me have them. He goes, "Well, go ask him." So he fucking does. He walks over to Bane. Hey, can I have some matches? Uh, yeah, sure. Keep the whole thing. book. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, talking to a patient who's having these dreams where her intestines fall out and she turns the porcelain. So he's like, you know, whenever that happens, you just put your hands in front of your face three times and your intestines won't fall out and you won't turn to porcelain. Oh, looks like preacher set a jacket on fire. Better go put that out. <laughs> yeah, just so casual about everything, you know, and the way he does it is by whispering into preacher's ear about how he will hoist them up and cut them right in the ass. <laughs> preacher's run the way Which- you know, Which is why yeah. we know Preacher has the dream that he has, because this is mm-hmm. what the doctor has been telling him, you know? So, obviously, the doctor is feeding into, the, into these guys' his phobias as well, you know? But true... Oh, he is. He's true totally Cali, psychosis. <laughs> true West Coast uh, philosophy there with the whole, uh, yeah, let's, let's give them their freedom and a book of matches, you know? Yeah, sure. Why not? Because, you know, what else are you going to do with it? But it was all basically a ruse just so that Fatty could escape into Dr. Potter's office to find out where he lives in Springwood, home of Freddy Krueger, because this is a new line cinema film. Two years later, we would get the birth of Freddy. But uh, so he does live in Springwood, New Jersey. Fatty finds out, puts the envelope in there, finds out that he has a daughter, Lila, along with his wife, Nell. So that's going to play in a little bit later. Um, But we also are introduced to Tony. Uh, Dan's sister, who also had some kind of a psychotic breakdown where now she's terrified of the dark. Uh, but she's joined 
uh, Nell and the whole family uh, at the new home so she can hang out with them and, and kind of be in recovery. So what are the first thing that they do? They go to the nightclub. And it's not just a nightclub, but it's a punk club. Because this is the fucking 80s, early 80s, so you got to have the, the neon punk scene. And, man, the sick fucks definitely bring it with uh, Chop Up Your Mother as the song that they're listening to, holding their, their cardboard axes uh, just before the uh, blackout happens. I just, it's one of those things, it's only in the 80s that you could have this, where you have like a full-on music performance, you know, that incorporates itself into a horror film. I just, I, I love it. <laughs> I miss that. That's so true. Movies nowadays. Rob Zombie did it in Halloween too, man. You know, he had his, uh, his hell building. No, he did. And, and, yeah. No, and he also, also did it from the Sudan. Yeah, but but in uh, at least in in this kind of early to mid eighties uh, time frame of film, uh, it wasn't just the horror genre where you would get this some kind of like a weird fucking musical interlude, uh, like right. like this one here. Like this, this this that's something that was like a like a like a early to mid eighties thing uh, that would often take place in films, regardless of genre. So you know when I was watching this, especially with like the fucking effects and the axes and the fucking makeups and. All that shit. I loved it. I was like, ah, <laughs> of course. It was a good punk rock song. Yeah, that we do the blackout and of course. Yeah. Revenge yeah, of the Nerves the other day. You know, and that's got a full yeah. on musical it does. number of musical interludes, but there's got one full on performance too, you know? Right. Well, and especially no, on a nerd fifteen. That's part, part two. two. Yep. That's part two, yeah. I know. Fifteen part two. Yeah, but I still love that music performance because they bring in the Beastie Boys rap. They used with that to call one. But, uh, him Mr. Touchdown. They used to call him <laughs> Mr. T. He can run and pass and throw. Give him the ball and just look at him go. Hit the parade for Mr. Touchdown. So look at these patients go because now the blackouts happen. There's no electricity anymore. So Ray Curtis isn't safe. His door doesn't work. So he tries to escape from Fatty and also Preacher but ends up getting baned. Uh, right in the back and just crushed by, by Fatty as the people leave. And this also leads to the fact that in this universe, cars don't work when there's danger. Because as we see, one of the doctors calls up the gate as everything's going down. He goes, oh, shit, those four are out. I'm going to get back in my car. And, of course, it doesn't work. I, just, I fucking love it. When shit goes down, cars don't work anymore. Like, it's such a great trope in horror movies, but this one amplifies it. We're like, no car is going to work. As soon as they park, it's done. There's no way that car is turning back on, even if it was fine two seconds ago. <laughs> As we see later in the third act, when two cars that are perfectly fine do not work. I just I love the fact that that happens. But now they have wheels, and they go to a shopping center where there's rioting happening, as happens in blackouts. Uh, and this is where all four arm themselves with axes and guns and crossbows and we never see the blue face, which I do think that was kind of good, although you see the twist when it happens. Um, he puts on a hockey goalie uh, mask, which we wouldn't see until a year later. <laughs> the secret in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's the worst. When it happens, you're like, that's the bleeder. Like, you know, as soon as he shows up, as soon as Tom shows up, that's the bleeder. But the I love it when up, they're leaving. Like, yeah, that's the bleeder. Yeah. When they are leaving the store and they all have their, their guns and they have all their ammo, when the bleeder is wearing the mask and he sees the guy loading stuff into the back of the van and he kills them, the other three look at him like he's a complete psycho, and they're like, oh, my God, he's bleeding there to go. <laughs> like, they're so astonished that he just killed somebody. That they're like, yeah, we've got to get the fuck out of here, man. The bleeder just killed a dude. Mm-hmm. But your whole thing is that you're going to kill this one doctor, but I don't know. It just it was kind of funny to me that, that uh, Fox and Preacher and Fatty could believe it. 
Yeah, the other guy also, you know, the heavy set dude, Fatty broke He's that bleeding. guy's back. You know what I mean? I mean come <laughs> on, man. Like, yeah, it was. It was I funny know. the way they look at him like he's a complete and utter madman when, the, you know, the reality is they, they're they all insane. They're all a little bit crazy here. Well, and it, it leads to the, the whole thing of, well, we have on one side, you have Dr. Potter finding out that Ray Curtis has been killed. They, they can't find Bane right away, which, again, you know, kind of leads to the whole cool theory that he could That's be in, I was running in the asylum. <laughs> I was looking into voyages and smoking my pipe. That's what I was doing. Dan, come hang out with me. Let's talk about patience. But no, oh, uh, we see I that... I will be a good doctor. <laughs> I believe that greatly. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't me to put me in the mask, but no. Um, we do see that they have that van that's driving around and Fatty's eating while... They find a bike messenger, which is something that you just don't see anymore. But this messenger in particular with his hat, of course, that's what they need because they have to go to the potter's house. So it's, I want the hat. What are you, some kind of asshole? Asshole. And, of course, Palance does this thing where he just looks like, oh, shit, you just called Preacher an asshole. So you're thinking that Preacher's going to get out of the van and just stab him to death? No. Palance guns it and backs over him and knocks him unconscious. Or to death, whatever you want to say, because he doesn't get shown again. So you got to imagine. I think he killed him. I think the idea is that yeah, he's he's dead. Yeah, I mean, Palance is playing. You know, uh, it's funny, but the role Palance is playing is very much like a a Clint Eastwood esque type of, of performance. You know, he's that hardened older guy that just comes from a from a, a land of rules and rigidity and this this new world just isn't for him like that that's the reason no. i'm getting off of this character every time i'm seeing him you know Yo, and cool. we do quick, see that kind quick of question yeah quick question mm-hmm. cool, and maybe you know I, I, and i and i did not uh look this up uh and maybe maybe you know and and and, and very well uh could be not but was fatty Fatty wasn't fucking the, the actor that was, uh, I can't remember his name, the character's name, but he wasn't Fatty, like the fat character in uh, in No Surrender, was he? No. No, definitely not. I just watched, I just watched that recently. There's no way that is the same. No, person. I know you watched that recently. We were, texting, we were texting about it. I know you watched it recently. That's why I asked. I didn't look it Def- up. Definitely not. I, I don't know his, his name. Um, but no, their faces, their faces don't match up. Gotcha. And this is also right, the, the kind of the last time, it's also the last time that you see Hawks until the ending of the movie, because he goes away for a while, because we get to see Fatty um, enter the house after Preacher walked up to the door looking for Dr. Potter, and he wasn't home, and he says he's got a package. But yeah, Hawks kind of goes away for a while. You don't really see him anymore. It's Fatty who's in the house when Kayla comes home looking for her parents who aren't there. And they're like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the babysitter and, uh, you know, want to go upstairs and, and do stuff. She's like, no, I want to fucking go upstairs. He's like, well, why not? No, I don't want to go. Well, fuck off. <laughs> I just, I love this little kid being such a little smart ass, but also, like, not knowing that he's an evil person, but just being like, get the fuck away from me, man. Like, I don't want nothing to do with you. My parents aren't home. I'm fine. Go away. You know, just... And Fatty doesn't know what to do, so he just leaves, as we find out. He just kind of bounced out, doesn't try to do anything with the kid. I guess he's just so astounded that she talks back to him that he couldn't deal with it and laugh. But um, we find out that – yeah, go ahead. 
Uh, no, I'm saying he was completely shocked by it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I, I, I took from, from that as well. And just uh, just to give you a real quick, uh, Scott, who was the heavyset character in No Retreat, No Surrender, was played by Kent Lifeham, I believe his name is, or Lipham. Mm. Um, but he, uh, unfortunately, he did pass away in September 25th of 2008, and no, they are not the same actor. Oh, wow. Crazy. Oh, um, yeah. So... With the blackout still going on, uh, Tony and Nell have been arrested because they decided to protest a nuclear plant who is responsible for this blackout, and they are in jail where they meet up with Tom Smith. Who is Tom Smith? He's the bleep. I mean, we're, we're going to call it out because they fucking put it there, where it's like this guy is going to be the other psycho. Like, they don't even try to hide it because he just looks psychotic the entire time. He's standing around anybody in the house when they, when they hole up there against the other psychos outside. He looks like he's going to start killing them. So it's just it's a horrible, horrible twist that they try to put in. He needed to act a little bit softer, but uh, we'll, we'll get there when that reveal happens. But uh, we have Bunky, not not Punky, but Bunky, the babysitter, coming to check on uh, Lila. And with no one home and Lila safe in bed, she decides to invite her boyfriend Billy over some for some sex in the Potter's bed. Um, they don't get very far because Bunky hears some noises and once. She hears those noises. Billy has to be the one to go check on it. As soon as he does, he's grabbed from underneath the bed by Preacher. You don't see what happens to him until later when they find their bodies in the closet. But Bunky is ultimately strangled to death by Fatty, which I thought was great. And it's actually practical because the actor playing him was just that strong. He was able to just lift her up. You know, no strings yeah, attached. Yeah, a tiny little yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, just effortlessly picking her up and screaming at her as, as he strangles her to death. Um, and once they disappear, there's cops at the house, and that's where we get the explanation from Dr. Potter that, yeah, I know, I uh, thought he was here, but yeah, he left. I don't know. Maybe one of them talked to him. Maybe trust me. I don't know. And, of course, Nell's freaking out the entire time. Like, what the fuck do you mean he was in the house? You mean psychopaths are in the house? Are you not concerned? Nell, in the third act, just becomes unhinged, where she's screaming the entire time, not just at the situation, but also at, at, at Dan. That's just every turn, you know, every possible thing that he can do, she's upset by it. Like this, this is not a very strong relationship that they have, and they need to be a little bit stronger as they're going to protect their home against the psychos that are on the property as we speak. But they have Detective Barnett there to protect them. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, Detective Barnett's here. He's a cop, you know, and, and he'll go investigate any noise as long as he has dinner with them. But he doesn't last long because we have hawks in the woods shooting off the crossbow, which lands straight into Barnett's chest. And it's a great effect, but also I think the actor did a great job at just, like, screaming in extreme pain at the fact that he has an arrow sticking out of his stomach. I was like, for, and you see his feet dangling off the tree. It's a great effect. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun little, uh, little move there. And this and again, is just where everything you know, kind of, yeah. Yeah. This is where it, it turns into the, into the home invasion film, you know, like we know they've right. been in, we know, but, but now it's the, the assault on the family while they're in, you know, shades of Night of the Living Dead, Assault of Precinct 13, you know, all, all, all these oh, yeah. types yeah. of films. That, that, I think, like I said, is my biggest qualm with this movie is it's obviously it doesn't, not every film needs to break new ground. <laughs> But with the quality of 
performers that they have in this movie, I'm just surprised right. that the movie itself just borrows from so many other films to kind of establish this story base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it does, it's, like I said, not breaking new ground, but it is kind of entertaining to see how they go about things because it seems realistic that they would handle things the way that they do. You know, they're not automatically pounding doors and stuff like that and protecting windows. You know, they're just trying to figure out what, where everybody is and how they could protect themselves. Um, and while Barnett's body is gone, Dr. Leo Bain shows up in his car. Oh, hey, hey Dan, <laughs> I thought you were mad at me. Oh, you're not mad at me, are you? Oh, come on out. <laughs> you know, we'll talk. Hey, man, the psychos are outside. I, I, I don't think you should be here right now. Oh, great. This is great. Finally, I can, I can talk to them and see how they're feeling. Like, no, no, this is where Dr. Bain becomes insane. Like, this is where he loses his fucking mind. He was crazy the of, whole time. <laughs> no, but no, he officially snaps. Like, this is, like, all the way insane. Like, not even, like, I'm going to get in my car and drive away. It's like, oh, there's, there's Byron. Hey, Byron, you know, what are you experiencing right now? How are you feeling? And that's when Byron takes the, his knife out and stabs him in the face. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I fucked up. Really and I have to go. Yeah, I just have to go to my car. I'm going to go. Uh, guys, thanks. Uh, I'll see you at work on Monday, Dan. But Preacher takes his fist and puts it right to the window so car. he can't roll it up. Get my other gun. <laughs> the fact that he's still trying to roll up the window with the fist of Byron in the window until it snaps off. I mean, the only regret is that you don't really get to see what happens to Leo Bain. Because yeah, we never he, find out Byron what happens act. to him. So no. we don't know if he survives or anything, right? No, because Byron has an axe, and he says, vengeance is mine, say it the Lord, and laughs really loud. And then you just cut to the car, and it's empty. Leo is not there, and Byron isn't there. Byron has ran to the basement where he's setting fire. So you don't really know if, if Dr. Bain is dead or not. I mean, he could have just been slashed and left for dead. But I guess presumably with that axe, he, he chopped him up. But it's just unfortunate that you don't get to see the end result. This film leaves a couple of specific things open-ended in that way. And, I mean, again, I don't know if it's just poor writing, something that might, could be something that was cut out. Um, I don't know. I don't know the history or the, the production of the, the film itself. And, mm. you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrible radio show host and totally didn't do any of that homework. <laughs> um, but that being said, like, little bits and pieces that I noticed, and like I had said earlier, too, like, I thought this whole time that, you know, we were going to find out that, uh, that Bane was, was part of the reason why they lost power in the town and everything. And the reason being is, is you know, the power gets lost, and they get that, that one radio going, and they're listening, and they're talking about how the, uh, the people at the power plant specifically stated that, you know, yeah. nothing went wrong on their end. And that this is right. either a case of sabotage or an act of God. Now, literally, you know, we get mm. that whole moment where Preacher is saying whatever he's saying, and then the power's lost. Preacher himself says, I made the power go I made out. the lights go um, Yeah. You know, oh, I did it. Now, late, later in the film, you know, we, we get the television broadcast where they're about to have the representative from the power plant come on and the fucking channel gets changed. So we never find out why the power was lost. We don't know if it was did something fail at the power plant. Did somebody do it? Or was it indeed an act of God? Yeah, we, we never do, you know, but it, like I said, it, it would have been better. So, I mean, I actually looked up the trivia for it and I couldn't find anything about an alternative uh, way of, about Bane. So I think it's a good theory and I think it actually works for this movie. They just kind of never went there. But 
with the fire set in the basement, Preacher is in the basement. We have a fight between Dan and Preacher where he gets the upper hand on him, slams him with the fire extinguisher, and runs back upstairs to shut the door and lock him in, you know, presumably just to kind of wait for the police to arrive because they don't want to have to kill anybody. They're not, they're not psychopaths. You know, they don't want to have to chop anybody. Like Tom tries to hand Dan the knife, and he goes, nope. And he just wants to knock him out so that the police can come and take care of him. Um, but while they're upstairs, Fatty returns with his baseball bat. But Lila's real quick with that knife right to the legs. Nails him onto the floor, and that's where Tom takes over with the butcher knife to the back of Fatty. And then using that baseball bat to slam it in once more. Uh, just love the fact that Fatty looks at Lila one last time before he dies. Like, oh, just hug me. I just wanted to make paper fucking toys with you. Well, yeah, what we no, find out is that. even though he's, an, you know, obviously he was a convicted pedophile, um, I, we don't know if it's boys, girls, or what, but we do find out that he never touches her. Um, and the film could have yeah, went no, there. You does. know, they, they really could have. I mean, here you have a character that, that, that is exactly what, you know, he does. Um, but, yeah, instead we find out that essentially, you know, he showed her how to make some paper critters or whatever, and then uh, yeah. she went and took a nap, and that, that was that. Yeah, and he left just because yeah, he, he got bored and just didn't want to do it, but, you know, that was fine for him. But with Fatty dead, Dan decides, I'm going to fucking make a run for it. I'm going to get into my car. I'm going to back it up. We're going to get out of here. Car doesn't work. Of course, like I said earlier, for some reason, third act, these cars don't work. He jumps into Leo Bain's car, starts the engine, but as he's trying to work it, we see Tony embracing Tom, and blood starts to drip down into her face. Oh, no, it's, it's the bleeder. We didn't know. This is a crazy twist. Tom was the bleeder the entire time. No way. But as he is, and this is what leads to the screaming that leads Dan back into the house where Nell is forced to stab the bleeder in the stomach because Lila hands her knife and goes, you fucking do it. Shank him. <laughs> I love the daughter hand here. Like, you do it. Like, you know, okay. You know, Nell's screaming the entire time and she doesn't want to do it, but eventually stabs him, which could possibly be a death blow. I don't think it is. It didn't look like a death blow, but in this movie, deaths are kind of inconsequential. Things happen. But he's on the floor, presumably dead. The whole family regroups and they hug each other up against the door. And that's when Hawk shows up with that crossbow saying that crazy people aren't the only ones that kill because sometimes you just have to, but conveniently the power comes back on as he's saying this. And we have a report from Philadelphia where they're interviewing Dr. Larry Merton, who is very much alive and very much talking like Bane about how these psychopaths really are just voyagers and they're not really uh, psychopaths. They're just on a journey and they need to be explained. So it's kind of interesting to see Merton adopting the same style as Bane. Like, I kind of hope that he would be a little bit different, and that's why he left that hospital to go work in Philadelphia is because he didn't get along with Bane. But no, he has the same ideology. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it would have been, it would have been better if, like you said, you had that contrast where, you know, Merton is more strict and more, we need to keep these people locked up because there's just no saving them whereas Bane's more freewheeling and lets him just hang out and have fun and, and whatever. But uh, either way, this is the proof that Dan keeps shouting at, at Hawks. He's like, look, it's, it's, it's Dr. Merton. It's Dr. Merton. Just be quiet. That's just, someone tells him to shut up. That's because he just wants to hear 
what this doctor has to say. And he believes it. It's not like you said this is taped. <clears throat> this is fake. No, it's actually Dr. Merton, and he is alive. We're coming to you live. That's what he needed to hear, so, but I mean, he didn't hear that. But instead, and, he just goes crazy. Real. We, we, chose, we choose not to use terms like <laughs> No, not in, this, not in 2021. Just, you know, uh, mentally impaired or, or, or sane impaired. Well, I don't know what they use nowadays, to be honest. I, I'm sure they probably still use psychopaths. And somehow I know I know they don't call them uh, you know mental institutions anymore. I think that that yeah, got the uh, kibosh of it, you know psychiatric hospital. Oh, you know, uh, mentally like disturbed. That. I think is is used more than psychopath these days. Um, yeah. You know, maybe, yeah. I know you you saying the whole thing with uh, with Merton and Bain being on the same page and everything. I mean that may very well be the reason why uh, Dan was brought in. You know, because they wanted somebody right. that was not on the same page as Bane. You know, but again, these are things that the script is lacking that, you know, you'd want them to have, you know, I mean, look, you obviously didn't have to spell it out completely, but they could have had him coming in as being, you know, the, uh, like, hey, you know, the, 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 the hospital has sent me in here to, to, to clean this up a bit because we're getting, you know, mixed ideas of what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. But it's also, I, I think it's also <clears throat> with the whole killing of um, of the bleeder, we also had the, the stabbing of Preacher, which, again, to me, that was not a kill shot. That was him grabbing, like, a small, like, vegetable peeler and just jamming it into his shoulder blade and throwing him downstairs. So, to me, I would think that the Preacher is probably still alive. You know, stabbed, probably knocked unconscious, falling down the stairs, and the police will pick him up. And even the bleeder, I think, would, would still survive. But we don't really see any of them after. There's no post. Depends if they, there's no, like, the depends if they hit a vital mm-hmm. organ or, or an artery or something, man. I mean, you'd be surprised. You know, and I know we watch a lot of movies, and, and in our heads we, yeah. we know what is and what isn't a kill shot, you know. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality is if you take a shot in the wrong spot or you get cut in the wrong way, you know, that, that'll, that'll take you down pretty easily. Yeah, the, the, the stomach shot for the bleeder I could probably see, but the back of Preacher, I don't know, it was like in the shoulder blade. And I was like, he could probably live. Like, yep, there's no vital organs in that spot where he got hit. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, like I said, we don't get a postscript on it. But it's also interesting that I forgot to note that when Tony is walking around in the dark as they're boarding up the windows earlier, there's a weird, like, corpse person that pops up and scares the shit out of her. And that was the one day on set that Tom Savini had where he made a person up with Rice Krispies and soap. And that was his one day, and then he left. <laughs> crackle pop, so, motherfucker. Yep. They asked him to do a kind of a cool, quick uh, effect. He said, sure. He grabbed some soap and some Rice Krispies. He did this guy up, and he said, there you go. See you later. And he was out of there. So, you know, Tom Savini back in the day, always working. Always, yeah, earning those checks, even if it was for a small one thing, like, yeah. uh, like one in the dark. So it was kind of cool to see his collaboration with a new line film uh, before that. But as we see Hawks freak out, smashing the TV with the crossbow and just leaving the house, knowing that Merton's alive, he was wrong the entire time. He ends up back at the punk club that we saw at the beginning. Now it's back. People are in, having a good time. The six bucks are playing. He walks up to the guy that's at the door. That'll be eight bucks, man. Nope. Nope. Just smashes him against the door over and over and over again. And then he just waves everybody in. Come on in, everybody. <laughs> no more bouncer. No more cover charge. Even the geeks that couldn't get in, they were like, oh, man. Yeah, you guys are cool. Come on in. 
because we have one more six yeah. bucks on to get through. <laughs> takes the dude's money. That takes the cover when, uh, he, 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 he nails the guy at the door asking for the charge. Um, like, not exact, but like I was thinking, oh, it's like when, uh, when, when Sarah Connor was hiding out in the Technoir Club. And uh, Arnold comes through the door and just walks past, and like the guy comes to get him, and like Arnold does that thing where like he like grabs the guy's hand and like breaks him down to the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A twist yeah. of the wrist to take him down. Yep. Yeah, but he smashes this guy. And it's funny if you look behind the bouncer as he goes down to the ground. The poster behind him is Nikki Danger, Nikki Nobody, and the Hives, and that was supposed to be the fake band that was going to be in the movie. But instead, they decided to hire the Sick Bucks to be in the movie because they liked their style. And years later, the lead singer was walking down the street in L.A. He saw Jack Palance, and he said, oh, man, we were in that movie back in the 80s, Alone in the Dark. That was kind of crazy, huh? And he goes, I was the guy in the Sick Bucks. And he goes, yeah, we're all Sick Bucks in that movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he probably didn't remember at that time. But, uh, but either way, it's a funny little story. And uh, Pish and uh, Snooky, who were in the Sick Fox, actually have a really successful uh, hair dye brand called uh, Manic Panic. Yeah, Snooky and Pish from the Sick Fox. So if you've ever been out to the store and you see the little black uh, dyes called Manic Panic. Yeah, no, not that one. No, this is actually a successful person named Snooky who has a uh, hair dye line called Manic Panic. Snooky wants smush Yeah, no. (laughs) It's a Jersey thing. You wouldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. But yes, we close that with, with Jersey Ginger. Well, we close that. <laughs> yeah. But we close that with Hawks in the club. And as he's walking through, he meets a girl who is completely out of her head on what we don't know. It doesn't really matter. But she walks up in the face. Oh yeah, you were here last Tuesday. It's just, it's crazy, man. Like this band is so fucking pink. Like so pink, man. Right? And of course. Jack Collins is just smiling at her the entire time until she lunges at him, and then he breaks out that gun where that's the first time I've ever saw somebody hold a gun like that. It looks like the least effective way to hold a gun against somebody, but he's just kind of palming it. But it's effective enough so that she gets turned on by it and just starts laughing as she puts it up to her own mouth, and he kind of digs on that too as we close out. I just I love the fact that it's Jack Collins, you know, getting a girl with a gun to the face and him going, Rock and roll. All right. Yeah, you can only get it at the, you know, the punk club. So that's, it's amazing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just love the way it closes out. Just, you know, Hawks being the only one that made it, and he's free, and he's listening to punk rock, as he should. But that was Alone in the Dark. Uh, again, He doesn't strike me as the, the punk rock listening kind, but who knows? Hawks is. It's loud. It's just, you know, abrasive. It drowns out the sounds of, of you know, Vietnam. But given, given, given his, like, old, his, like, square old man appearance, I don't know how much he would be accepted on site by, by a, such a punk crowd, especially given the kind of way punk music was in 1982. Well, yeah, I mean, that, especially in that, in that area. I mean, but, I mean, you had the New York scene, you had the West Coast scene in 1982. So, I mean, it, it was just that new wave of punk after the 70s. I mean, you had bands like Fear and Dead Kennedys and the Circle Jerks and Black Flag. You know, I mean, I, they say this takes place in New Jersey, uh, and I know that it was filmed in places in New York. So, I mean, you know, yeah, CBGBs was still open, so it was a, the whole new wave of punk at that time. But he was, you know, 
they're all messed up on drugs. I don't think they're really going to care that Hawks is walking around with his big golden eagle belt buckle, you know, just kind of hanging out. I mean, he did just fucking kill the bouncer, so there is no more cover charge. So he did them a favor. So they kind of owe him one to let him hang out. <laughs> all right, so that is the move for this week. Uh, Ghoul, next week, I believe the pick goes to you, so what do you have? Uh, you know, like I was, I was tossing back and forth with a couple of different things. Um, Can I interject you know, before I, you make their choice? Because what I have to say might color what you might choose. Okay, what is that? Uh, so uh, I am not going to be on next week's episode of Talking Terror. Okay, so it'll be a old school Ghoul and King episode. All right. That could be fun. Okay, so, All you know, right, what's the pick? You know what? Indeed. Indeed, then, I think that this can, uh, this can definitely work. I think, you know what, this absolutely 100% changes my pick. We're going to go with a little bit of mind altering. We're going to go a little mind bending. We're going to go a little fucking out there. Okay, but we're going to take a All little right. bit of the old, mm. and we're going to sprinkle a little bit of the new in with this as well. And we, and we dear King... Uh, I'm sure you have already watched it. I've owned it, and I have yet to, to watch the whole entire film. Um, I started it. I forget why I stopped it, and I just, you know, it's one of those that I keep meaning to go back to, and I never do, so now I'm going to have no reason not to. We are going to visit the Twisted Twins, the sisters themselves. We are going to watch 2018's Suspiria. The Wachowskis? What? They didn't do Suspiria. I'm just being a fucking asshole. Sorry, this, this 2000. What uh, you're talking about? Look at what I, I, I was thinking. Rabbit. My bad. Yes. No. 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 My bad. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking Rabbit. Okay. Uh, but no, we are doing 2018 okay. Suspiria. Wrong movie. That's all. So what? So what were we doing? We're doing Suspiria. We're doing Rabbit. You keep saying Suspiria. we are. Yes, we are covering the 2018 version of Suspiria. My bad. I had the twins oh, in my head because I there. just seen a picture of them. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. So, yes, the Luca Guadagnino version of Suspiria. I'm actually really excited you picked this uh, because I, I, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on it because you know how much of a fan of the original I am. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll save everything. But I am really looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. And this is a perfect movie to pick for uh, me and you episode. So an old-school Ghoul and King episode, it's the perfect movie. So, yeah, they'll be, you know, uh, short on horror news but long on conversation. Can't wait. Uh, so tune in, guys, next week. All of you at home, all of you listening to our thoughts on the remake of Suspiria. So thank you so much, Dean. We're going to miss you next week, but we'll see you back here for the next one. It's your turn. Because you know the monkey doesn't come back party. for another day. Ooh, he's going to go to a lemon party. A what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not the... No, nah, no, nah, I've got tangerine flavor. I've got pomegranate. i got a couple different flavors. They, they all have different effects, and they're all pretty fucking rad. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Dean, and we'll see you back here in uh, two weeks. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. Close us out, uh, Ghoul. Well, stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. And as for me, I'm Oh, you know, you have to be because Marie is listening right now. I mean, she is just so disappointed you're not going to be around next week, so you owe it to her to bring a really good pick when you come back, so... We'll have to see what you girl Maria. She literally just said, right now, bye, Dean. I will miss you so much. So there you go, man. 
That's your that's your number one. That's the queen. That's that's the big fan. So you got to impress her with a pick in two weeks. So as always, I'm the old pal. That's right. I'm your old pal, the king of horror, Andy G, saying thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll miss you, Dean, but in a way, we still got a movie to talk about. So hail Satan, hail yourselves, hail odorous, keep America strong, watch horror movies, and we'll see you back here next week for Suspiria. Mm-hmm.